today is what we refer to as Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday when we remember Jesus riding into Jerusalem as Jerusalem's most wanted. People calling out, Hosanna, oh save us. And Jesus was riding into what would become known after the fact as the Passion Week. The week of his great suffering as he was entering into the time in which he was going to be abandoned, mistreated, wounded, and ultimately killed. And so we pause on a, on a day like today and we look back to rejoice, but also to, to process the emotional experience of what all Jesus walked through. And I just want to recognize altogether, I don't know that there has been a moment in the course of our lifetime where we have more needed a God who suffers with. That we are entering into Passion Week while the whole globe is convulsing under the weight of a pandemic, dealing with its ramifications and its implications. And we come together as a worshiping body this morning to recognize that we have a God that entered into the world and particularly on this week in the church calendar, this is the week where we remember that he walked headlong into suffering. Imagining Jesus riding on the back of a donkey, coming into a city, knowing that there are people there waiting for him who want to see his demise, and he enters into suffering, fearless, bold, and courageous so that he can be with his people and in fact can lift the weight of suffering on their behalf. As we as a city, particularly Houston, are poised expecting that in the next month, if statistical analysis holds true, we could have somewhere between two and 4,000 people die in our city. We come in a moment recognizing that human suffering is real and that God is not distant from it. He enters into it. And so towards that end, this morning as we continue in a series on the book of Psalms, we are going to run to a Psalm that's going to teach us about the the, the glorious and unusual gift that is Christian lament. And we're going to do so by looking at a psalm that Jesus himself prayed in the midst of his Passion Week at the pinnacle of his suffering, a messianic psalm that gives voice to what does it mean to process human suffering? What does it mean to to work through it in ways that honor God and that are honest. And what we will find as we study Psalm chapter 22 together is this. Honest lament gives way to real hope. Honest wrestling with the human experience is what provides the way for real hope to explode and to become a reality. We will find that in fact, those two realities are linked in a real way and that for hope to be real and all that it's intended to be, it must march through the realities of human suffering. It must give voice to them in proper way. And we want to be a people as we are cultivating fire in our closet that understand what it means to lament before God. And so the invitation this morning is that we would be a people that understand what honest lament looks like so that we can be a people of real hope. I'm gonna invite you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 22. 
And uh, as we get started, I'm going to read the first 11 verses for us to set some context. And as I read these first 11 verses and you follow along with me, I want you to pay attention to a couple of things. Pay attention to the way that King David, who has penned this psalm, is going to, to toggle back and forth between the past and the present tense. And pay attention to the emotion that is at work here as we read Psalm 22, verses one through 11. And just before I read, permit me to remind you what the prophet Isaiah says about the scriptures. He says that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God will stand forever. We would be really wise to pay attention to this messianic psalm written by King David, voiced by Jesus in the midst of his suffering. Psalm 22, starting in verse one, my God, My God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you don't answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and they were rescued and you they trusted and they were not put to shame. You hear that in the past tense and then back to the present tense. But but I am a worm. I'm not a man. I'm scorned by mankind. I'm despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. You, you can hear it right off the bat as we begin to engage this, this prayer of David that the emotion is real and deep. The suffering is present and powerful. It is palpable. And what we are experiencing is honest lament. This text and others like it provide for us a, a definition of what lament is like. I just wanna, I wanna offer a definition to give us a baseline for what we're talking about as we wrestle with how do we be a people who lament. In this text and others like it, what we see is that lament is this. It is a courageous expression, a courageous expression of the emotional dissonance between two things. So there's emotional tension. There's a rub emotionally between two things. And, and these two things are what we feel the weight of. One is God's word and activity in the past. Who God has said he is, who has proven himself to be in the past, and our present experience. So lament is the courageous expression of the emotional dis- dissonance between God's work and word in the past and my experience in the presence and the present. In a sense, it's this reality that all of a sudden we're going through something currently, and when we look back, we go, wait a second. My present circumstances are saying to me that I don't know that God is who I thought he was. It's giving voice to the emotional difficulty of being in a place where we go, if God is that person that I've seen in the past, how can this possibly be happening? And the person that is willing to lean in and name that is a person that doesn't just treat God like an acquaintance. Because the truth is, we will not wade into these waters with an acquaintance. If the barista who makes your cup of coffee that you pick up when 
when you're able to actually do that sort of thing, when you go and pick up your cup of coffee, if they say or do something that seems out of alignment with their character, you don't say, whoa, 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 hold on, that's not what I expect from you. You kind of shrug and think, well, that was unexpected. But when it's a spouse, someone that you love, someone that you're committed to that feels like they are acting in the present in a way that's out of alignment with what you expect from them in the past, you press in. You wrestle, you, you press into the difficult territory. What we see in this text is that part of the reason that this psalmist, King David, is able to lament is because he calls God my God. Did you hear that? He starts off saying it twice, my God, my God. He says it later in the text in verse 10 saying, you have been my God. That what we realize is that if we are going to understand the power of lament, we have to have the sort of relationship where we have been with God in the secret places. We have shared things with him in the past and we know that he is my God. So as we press in, as we're about to study this text and understand what it means to honestly lament, I just wanna start by posing this question. Do you have the relational context with God to, to lament? Do you know what it is to say, my God, I have loved you and walked with you and now I'm wrestling with the current emotional dissonance. We want to be the sort of people that cultivate fire in the closet that know what it is to say, my God, I have met with you in the secret place and now I'm coming to say, God, how can this be? This is the journey we're on, this sort of relational intimacy. Well, Lament is wrestling with past faithfulness of God versus my present distress. Let's first see how God has been faithful in the past in this text. How has he been faithful in the past? In verses three through five, you just heard me read it. David is looking back and he's, he's calling to mind the past tense. He says, God, you are holy. You are enthroned on the praises of Israel. And this is why. Because they trusted in you and you delivered to them. They cried to you and you rescued them. We're not entirely certain what David has in mind when he's meditating on these past events in verses three through five, but most likely he is thinking about the Exodus. He's thinking about a moment in history, hundreds of years prior, where God showed up and he delivered the people of Israel. They had their back against the wall and they thought this is surely it and God made a way where there was no way. And so David, in a moment of distress, is looking back and going, God, I know who you are. You're a God who hears the pleas and the cries of your people and you show up in power. That's who you are. He says, I've seen it in ancient history. David was recalling to mind what he had heard about, what he had read and studied, what he had prayed about, what he had written songs and prayers about that are captured in the Psalms. He's going, God, I know you to be this way. And then also in the past tense, in verse nine and 10, he's not just looking at ancient history, He's looking at personal history. He's saying, you took me from the womb. You made me trust at my mother's breast. On you, I was cast from my birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. The idea is that if we are going to be a people that understand how to lament, we first have to understand how to call to mind past faithfulness. Looking at the way that God has moved throughout history, what we have studied in our Bibles, what you have heard preached, what you have prayed about in secret moments, but also recalling your own particular story. If you have placed your faith in Jesus and you are a son or a daughter of the king, you have little moments and pivots in your history where you can look back and say, the faith of my grandparents, 
the influence of my parents, this coach, this moment, this transformative event, God was so faithful to me. I have a unique story of God and me walking throughout time. He's been good to me. If we're gonna be a people that understand how to really wrestle with God, we have to be able to tell our story and the story of history and understand where God has showed up in power. And David, in this moment of distress, is looking back and saying, God, I know that you are like this. We have had sweet moments together. You've been with me. I have to imagine that in part, David's thinking back about when he was a young man taking care of the sheep, moments where he'd be laying out in the stars, and it was like God was holding him close. Have you had those moments where God was just so close you felt like your heart was gonna burst? Part of lament is calling those moments into your memory, into your meditation, going, God, I know you're like this. And then looking directly in the eye of your present distress. You see, this is what he's doing. He's not shying away. He's pulling out the emotional dissonance. He looks back and then he looks presently and he names his present distress in several different ways. He talks about, in this text, the, the distress that he's walking through in ways that gives Jesus voice to his own distress on the cross. And so we'll see it both in David's life and in Jesus. He's emotionally distraught. That's part of his present distress. Did you hear it? In verse 2b, he says this, by night I find no rest. This literally means I toss and I turn. I can't sleep because of the things that are crowding in on me, the unrest that I feel. He says in verse 6a, I am a worm and I'm not a man. He views himself as less than human, in part because in verse 7a, he says, all who see me mock me. Have you ever felt less than human? Like you can't sleep at night and you think nobody respects me. The emotional distress of the present may be the source of genuine lament for you. But it's not just emotional, it's physical Pressing into verses that we've yet to read together, look down further in verse 14 and 15. He begins to sketch out his physical depletion. And these are words that when Jesus takes them up on the cross, we realize that as he's praying this psalm, this is happening real time in Jesus' suffering. He says, I'm poured out like water in verse 14. My bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. And then again, <clears throat> verse 16b, he says, they've pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all of my bones. They stare and they gloat over me. We hear the language of the cross there. As David is wrestling with his own distress, he's giving words that actually are prophetic for what Jesus walked through. Real, physical suffering. The sort of suffering where he says, I'm struggling in my dehydration. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. I am undone in every way. I am like water poured out. Have you ever been in a place of such physical distress where you're going, God, I know you've been faithful in the past, but I'm in such pain and such heartache. In a city where we are very potentially going to watch hundreds and thousands die in the coming weeks, we're left wrestling with coming, God, you've been so faithful in the past, but this sort of physical suffering, like God, where are you in that sort of physical suffering? This is what it means to call real lament into play, emotional, physical, relationally abandoned, 
In verse 6b, he says, they, uh, in verse 6b, it says this, pardon me. It says, I, I'm scorned by mankind and I'm despised by the people. In verses 17b and 18, further on, it says this, they stare and they gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. Once again, earlier in verse 11b, it says there is none to help. The psalmist feels entirely alone and isolated, relationally abandoned. It may be that as you're hearing this message, you are a single person that lives alone and right now in the midst of social distancing, you feel so relationally alone and you say, God, you're triune, you're all about relationship and togetherness, you've built a family and right now I feel divided from all of it. That might be a source of real lament in a moment like this. And then lastly, and most painfully for the psalmist, most painfully for Jesus and his suffering during Passion Week, he is spiritually forsaken. Not just emotionally distraught, not just physically depleted, not just relationally abandoned, but feels spiritually forsaken. Look at verses one and two. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You are so far from saving me, from the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you don't answer. Interestingly, that word for groaning is most consistently used in the Hebrew of a lion roaring. He's saying, I'm roaring and you're not here. God, where are you? The psalmist says. Later in verse 11 and in verse 19, this idea of nearness and farness is drawn out. In 11a, he says, be not far from me. In verse 19, he says, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. The psalmist is wrestling with the nearness and the farness of God in the midst of present distress. The emotional experience is this, God is nowhere to be seen. That's the emotional reality of the moment. That's lament. That is what the psalmist is naming. And the invitation for us as we walk Passion Week, but also we walk the suffering of our globe and the suffering of our city and the suffering of our neighbors, what we must be willing to walk into is to take inventory and to pray the emotional dissonance between God's faithfulness and his word in the past and our experience in the present. Have you roared in your closet? The truth is, many of us have not. And the reason is because God is more acquaintance than intimate. When he's really who he says he is and we've loved him and been with him, we will go to that place and we will roar. We will say, God, where are you right now? We're willing to be real with you that this is painful to watch. It's painful to say you're Jehovah Jireh, you are the provider, yet jobs are quickly dissipating for people and they're wondering how they're gonna pay the bills, going, how do I square this? Or to say that you're resurrection and life, yet death seems to be getting the last word right now. Or to say you're the God of reconciliation and COVID-19 is dividing people along racial and social lines. That we even feel the weight that in the last two weeks there have been a thousand aggressive acts against Asian Americans in our country because of politicians' insistence on calling this a China virus. 
That as a result, our brothers and sisters are feeling fearful and mistreated, aggression. That all of a sudden we're in a moment where we're saying, God, you say you're like this, but we live in this moment where it's so broken and wrong. And I just want to say to my Asian American brothers and sisters who are part of Seven Mile Road, we see you. And we want to roar in our closets on your behalf and say, God, would you show up? Bring healing and restoration. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And until we've been willing to go to the moment and say this is not the way it's supposed to be, we won't know real hope. Because it's honest lament that gives birth to real hope. It's paying attention to the ugliness and the brokenness of the world that provides real hope. You see, hope without lament is flimsy, and shallow, and it's not very reassuring. Blind optimism that says, well, we just need to believe that everything's gonna work out the way it's supposed to be. That's not biblical hope that, that kind of sidesteps or denies the pain of the moment and says, well, we're just, gonna, we're just gonna believe that everything's just gonna work out. We do believe everything's gonna work out, but if we haven't roared along the way, it's not biblical hope. It's not the full, robust, deep, real thing. Easter Sunday without Good Friday is not a miracle. <laughs> Resurrection, unless death is real, unless we felt it in our bones. And so what we want is real hope, real hope that emerges out of guttural groaning and roaring. And what the text says is this, that real hope emerges both for us as God's people and for the world. Let me show it to you. In verses 22 to 26, it emerges for God's people. Pay attention to the ways he says, brothers, congregation, Jacob, Israel. He's talking internally here. He says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. What he's saying is this, that God's people uh, will praise and glorify. There will be hope. The interesting thing is he says the afflicted, their prayers are heard. What's so interesting is that at the beginning of his prayer, he says, God, you're not hearing the prayers of the afflicted. What happened? This is what's so profound. I need you to hear this. If we're going to be a people that have fire in the closet, I need you to hear this. Something happens in the closet. As he is roaring in the secret place, his prayer is transformed. At the beginning, he says, your face is turned away from me. You don't hear me. Where are you? But as he wrestles and as he groans and as he roars, by the end, there's a breaking point. At the end of verse 21, he says, you have saved. You've shown up. And then he says, and as a result, we're going to rejoice. Listen. Prayer is not about manipulating God to change your circumstances. Prayer is about you being transformed by the glory of God so that you see your circumstances differently. When we have really gone to the closet and we have roared and we meet God in that place, something changes. And it's not our circumstances. 
It's not suffering and it's not pain. What changes is our confidence that he is coming. He's going to do something. We have real hope that is anchored out in the future beyond the horizon. And the beautiful thing is it's not just hope for us, it's hope for the world. In verse 27 to 31, he says this, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before you for kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. Do you hear we're all in the future tense now? He's been toggling between the past and the present, but now he's speaking wholly in the future tense. He says, all the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him, they shall bow all who go down to the dust, even those who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. You see, he's talking about the nations, the world, generations yet unborn. I dare to believe, and we are daring to believe that right now we are experiencing a great shaking. The creator and sustainer of the world has allowed within his sovereign care of the universe for a great shaking across our nation and across the globe that is causing people to come undone and to ask questions that previously they haven't asked. And I believe that at least in part, the scriptures would say this, it's because God has a, has a desire to call people back to himself. He has a design for the nations and his design for the nations is his own worship. And so we as the people that issue this hope to the world, we will issue real hope only as we're willing to lament, as we're willing to roar, to dignify the human suffering that's before us, the thousands that have had to bury loved ones and not be able to have a funeral and gather their family together, if that doesn't cause emotional unrest and dissonance for us, then something is amiss. We must learn to lament, but as we lament on behalf of the brokenness of the world and as we meet God in the midst of our roarings, what we will be able to extend is genuine hope because this is the reality. Brothers and sisters, hear this. That Jesus took this prayer up on his lips as he was bleeding and dying on the cross. And he conquered death and suffering and sin. He was forsaken by the Father mysteriously and miraculously so that those whose trust in him will never be forsaken. This is what happens in the closet. When you go to the closet and you roar, and you say, God, the physical an emotional and relational and spiritual weight of current brokenness causes unrest. And I'm wondering where are you are in the midst of this? If we go to that place and we wait and we cling, what we will encounter is the resurrected Christ. Jesus is alive. And he meets us in that moment by opening the eyes of our heart, and this is what we will behold with the eyes of faith in that moment. We will behold him with a tear in his eye, holding out his hand, showing us his wounds, saying, I know. I know. I know that sin hurts. I know that suffering is real. I know. Like, look at my suffering. 
in the same breath, he says, and hear this, behold, I am making all things new. We of all people in the world, we have a word to share. We have hope to extend to our Asian American brothers and sisters. We have hope to extend to those that are, that are mourning the loss of a loved one. We have hope to, to extend to those who are alone and scared because of Passion Week. Because we have a God who didn't sidestep human suffering, but he understands lament. And when we will be willing to groan in the closet, roar, and meet God, it won't be that our circumstances change, but our perspective certainly will. We will have real hope, hope that will endure in this age and the age to come. Brothers and sisters, let's learn to honestly lament so that we can experience real hope. Please pray with me. God, we're not home yet. Like we long for home. And we're just not there yet. I pray for all of those right now that hear my words, that feel it. They feel the longing, the homesickness. We need you, God. We need the gospel. Jesus, we need you. We need a God who suffers and conquers in the midst of death and suffering. And so I'm begging that right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would inspire faith in the hearts of Seven Mile Road and all of our visitors that are just peeking over the fence and listening with us. I pray that those who've never trusted in Jesus, that even now as you hear these words, that you would realize that there's real hope that doesn't deny human suffering, but experiences it and conquers it. I pray that we would run to Jesus and be the sort of people that live with real hope this week. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.